Hello and welcome to the Future of Tax podcast series, Private Enterprise Edition, with today's episode focusing specifically on the private enterprise tax space. Today I'm joined by Mike Linter, our Global Head of Private Enterprise, Tax, KPMG International, based in the UK, along with Shaima Nuchin, Policy Lead for KPMG's Private Enterprise Tax Network, based with KPMG in Canada. Mike, it's 2022 and it's our first Future of Tax podcast series focused specifically on the issues and opportunities facing private enterprise tax leaders. Today's episode will look especially at the tax policy landscape around the world and how the latest Pillar 2 BEPS developments are playing out for private enterprise tax leaders. So Mike, to start us off, can you tell us first why it's so important to look at the unique experiences of private enterprise businesses as distinct from large corporates? Yes, of course, and thank you. Um, I, I think there are a number of um, real distinctions here. I mean, we often find that our private enterprise um, clients are very agile and entrepreneurial. They move in a really dynamic way, often uh, led by an owner founder or matriarch or patriarch. They actually respond very quickly to circumstances. And obviously, I think in that way, obviously, they, they don't always have the time or resource to plan properly in terms of what the consequences might be from a tax perspective. I also think as well, they're very focused on the the business of the business, as it were. Um, I think that in terms of actually having a large head office, you can actually help them through the landscape of policy changes or changes in terms of taxation, or even things such as um, cross-border transactions. Again, I, I don't think they have that resource, but they have been very, very willing and able during certainly during the pandemic to actually move very quickly and be very opportunistic. But I also think as well, um, what, what's really quite interesting is that they also have a longer term view, the fact that they don't have to actually respond to capital markets. It means that they look at sustainable long term decisions where from a really interesting perspective, from a patient capital piece. And what's key behind all of that is that often many of these businesses actually put reputation at the forefront of their decision making. So if you actually add all of those things up, it's a it's a very mercurial environment. I think the, the speed of the decision making and also their response to opportunities, uh, I think, is much faster than corporates. But often they lack the bench strength and the high head office resources to actually make sure that they're actually doing the right thing at the right time from a tax regulatory perspective. Mike, from the clients you speak to regularly, what would you say are the three biggest issues on their minds? Well, uh, undoubtedly, the change in business models. All, all of my clients have actually had a change in how they actually operate in terms of how they actually source goods, in terms of how they actually market those goods. I think the second piece is around supply chains. It's a really complex environment now with the return of geopolitics, certainly to trade and customs as well. It's a much more complex environment. And I think the third piece is is actually staying compliant. Um, Obviously, reputation, as I mentioned earlier on, is important to these um, businesses. And obviously, compliance, I think, and making sure that you don't fall foul of um, a fast-changing regulatory and legal uh, tax legal environment has been really, really important to them. Mike, that's really helpful context. Perhaps we can pick up more on the other two topics in our next episode. But today we'll focus on the big policy topic on everyone's minds, BEPS, and the impact that will have. Shai, if I could come to you, what are the key changes that tax leaders should understand? Well, uh, the, the key changes that we see uh, are the following. First, we see an increase in the uh, amount of disclosure that is required post-BEPS, especially for companies which are larger with uh, a revenue of more than 750 million dollars, euros, uh, pounds. 
the trend is expected to continue in future years, and tax authorities are increasing their capabilities of analyzing and monitoring this data. More data basically brings more audits, which I'll deal with later. But private businesses, which is the uh, topic of this discussion, are usually not accustomed to this level of disclosure. And suddenly they have something new that they need to comply with. Um, growing businesses will have to be able to grow and simultaneously also increase their ability to comply and add this to other things that they already have to do as part of a growing business. It's another thing that they need to think of and not just think of it as mere compliance because the data you provide has significance and you need to think it's more of a thought at planning exercise together with compliance. It's not just pure compliance. The other thing we're seeing is, as, as I said earlier, uh, more compliance, more disclosure brings to more audit, and there's much more audit activity around the world. Uh, tax authorities need revenue. Tax authorities have more data and are trying to uh, get their share of the pie. And we're expecting to see more and more audits as we go along, especially if the Pillar 2, Pillar 1 are adopted and more cross-border disputes are likely to arise as a result. At the moment, even without the Pillar, Pillar, pillar 1, Pillar 2, we see this great increase and it has several consequences. First, there is more pressure on the businesses uh, to have resources to deal with audits. If you have an audit, you need to respond to requests, you need to produce documents, that takes resources. That means that they have to have people underground dealing with it. Second thing, there's growing pressure on tax authorities to have enough resources to handle increased tax audit activity that the disclosure bring about with it. And the third thing is that we're likely to see longer cycles of tax audits and in many cases overlap, overlapping tax audits between two or more jurisdictions. Lastly, there is um, an uncertainty as to the likelihood of the adoption of the two pillars and how the inclusive framework will apply going forward. Uh, Mike mentioned the changing geopolitics uh, landscape and if just to look at back at the last three, four months, tax is no longer at the top of the agenda. And the Pillar 2 will have to be implemented by 140 countries, each in their domestic legislation. In the US, for example, it's not clear whether the uh, uh, current administration will have the ability to implement the legislation. And the US being a very large contributor of multinational um, enterprises with U.S. parent entities is a major factor. If the U.S. cannot pass the legislation to make it comply with Pillar 2, that would have an impact on a lot of companies because the U.S. would not be considered to be a participating jurisdiction uh, with allocation consequences. Uh, we're also going to have situations where countries would not have the ability to implement the um, Pillar 1, Pillar 2 because they don't have the resources or technical expertise of doing it. So there are a lot of challenges laying ahead. Basically, businesses will have to watch and try to 
react quickly as things develop. Thanks for that, Shai. Mike, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think there's two things. I, I think Shai is absolutely correct. You know, it's a, it's a really interesting uh, environment at the moment where there's a combination of changing business models and supply chains with a huge increase in regulation for those larger private enterprise businesses. It's a complex in, environment. And understandably, given the pandemic and many businesses looking to survive um, during the pandemic, it's only now that they're emerging into this new environment. So I do think there's an opportunity for those private enterprise businesses to actually look at how those things have changed. And in, in the context, uh, I think, of, of all the changes that um, Shai actually outlined. Um, I also think there's a second piece in this, though, is that private enterprise businesses are always very keen on actually monitoring and mitigating cash. And I, I think, of course, they need to be tax compliant. But I also think the need to look at this through both the lens of absolutely being compliant and, and fulfilling their regulatory requirements, but also looking at this through a cash lens and a cash leakage, because this is absolutely key to fast growing private enterprises. So I think this is important, of course, for staying compliant. But I also think it needs to be actually seen from a cash leakage perspective that we're talking about significant sums here and I think if anything it's really pushed tax and these further reporting requirements up the agenda for these entities. Shai what else do tax leaders need to know are there particular regional nuances in each different jurisdictions? Well there, there is one point that I want to get go back to and that's something that Mike mentioned earlier and that's the reputational risk especially for privately owned businesses which are more aware, more concerned about their reputation. Uh, they're in many cases forming part of a community. And we see that um, reputation and how certain things are perceived varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, varies from one culture to another. And what is perceived as aggressive tax planning or even tax avoided in one country may be completely fine in another jurisdiction. And what businesses need to analyze what tax leader need to do is first to determine their risk profile, their tax risk profile. What is the profile that they want to uh, be perceived as uh, applying and then to make sure that whatever they do is consistent with this profile. So for example, if we have uh, someone who is an owner of a family business and the family is very interested in charitable causes and would like to contribute to the society, it would be inconsistent for them maybe to do something which is too aggressive tax planning in a way that would be perceived as contradicting their charitable purposes. It's important that we focus not only on the companies, but also on shareholders, employees, customers and vendors. All of these people look at the company and its behavior and the reputational risk would impact all of them. Mike, if I can come back to you, are private companies you speak with concerned with these developments in regards to a global minimum tax? What's causing the most concern? Obviously, the global minimum tax is, is really important, but I always think there's been a wider concern, I think, from, pri from private companies is the fact that the increasing complexity of um, tax legislation, either domestic or international, and I think it's been accentuated, of course, by the rule changes that we've um, been describing, but, but also as well by the, the international deployment of capital. Um, 
many private enterprise businesses, certainly the ones at the size that Shai was actually talking about earlier on, are global businesses have an international footprint. So I think the main concern that they have is actually stumbling into an area where they may be taxed twice on profits or revenues. Um, I, I think it's a really challenging concern for them to say um, we, we keep re-emphasising the fact that business models have changed, supply chains have changed, regulation has changed. And the fact is that obviously weaving their way throughout this has been a challenge for them. And I think actually the the complexity of tax legislation and the increasing uh, requirements to report and be audited, as we described earlier on, I think the real concern is, of course, getting that right, but also being taxed twice. And obviously, I think as the legislation evolves and as global agreement is actually reached, they're really concerned in the fact that there will be a way for them actually to to actually recover the tax that they actually pay in each of the jurisdictions. So I, I think that's the biggest concern here. And how are each of you seeing private enterprise tax leaders respond? I, I think we're seeing more people invest more in actually tax resource, I think, uh, themselves. I think it's, it's become a, a board level priority. Of course, we talked a lot about reputation, um, of course, around getting this wrong. We've seen more aggressive tax authorities um, post pandemics. So I think there's been an investment in, in tax resource. I also think it's been interesting, actually, I think we're seeing tax really as a boardroom issue now as well for all the reasons we've described. It's, it cuts across business models and supply chains and reputation and compliance. And we're actually we're seeing actually many more conversations with not only audit committees of private businesses of these size, but also board level, chief executive and CFO level in terms of actually helping, uh, asking for help and support around the very, very complex and fast evolving landscape. And Shai, do you have anything to add? I think that if there is one thing that uh, tax leaders have to maybe communicate is that we are living in a very fast moving, very fragile environment. There are a lot of changes. There are a lot of moving parts. Change is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be an opening for new opportunities. But the mindset have to be one of changes, that things are changing as we go along and that the uh, management, as long, uh, along with the tax leader, have to be ready and embrace this change as opposed to trying to resist it. And Shai, what are the exceptions or carve-outs that we should be aware of? The two things that I would focus when looking at uh, the, the, the pillars, one is um, indirect tax and the other one is non-tax incentives. Basically, what the, especially pillar two, what they're trying to do is to eliminate any unilateral, indirect or digital tax um, initiatives issued by different tax jurisdictions and to streamline it around the world. It's likely that we'll see jurisdictions responding to that by introducing taxes that would be indirect taxes that would not be covered by the overall framework, but at the same time will impact the business because it will be an additional cost of doing business in that jurisdiction. So that's one thing. The second thing is with the minimum tax of 15% introduced by Pillar 2, many of the direct tax incentives might disappear because it will be a way of one country financing another country. It's likely that we'll see jurisdiction trying to offer non-tax or non-direct tax incentives to 
maintain and attract additional investment into their jurisdictions, but without in a way uh, violating or being caught by the inclusion framework. And Mike, what do you think tax leaders should be doing to assess and prepare for the potential implications for their organisations? Well, I think now is a really good time to take stock. If you look back over the last two years, as we hopefully begin to emerge from the pandemic, I mean, the first um, six to nine months were really around survival for businesses and looking at government-led uh, incentives to actually make sure that these businesses can survive. And then we had the piece um, mentioned a couple of times today around actually how their business models evolve. Uh, I think, you know, either from a go-to-market perspective or through a supply chain. Uh, I think all of those done were actually absolutely done with a focus on actually preserving the business and making sure that the businesses um, were as robust as they could be in the very challenging circumstances. I really think this is a time now to reflect on that those changes that have been made. I think it's a time to actually look to make sure that things that were done for commercial benefits haven't stumbled into some challenges around tax. Uh, I also think it's a time to look forward as well, as Shai says, that not all of this is bad for private enterprise businesses, but I think what they need to do is actually reflect on what they've actually done over the last two years and make sure that they're compliant and that there's no excess tax leakage from what the things that have actually been done as a business to, um, to survive, and then look forward, looking at this new environment, really actually look at this as an, as an opportunity to make sure that they maintain their reputation, that they invest in their tax function and their advice, uh, and really to make sure that obviously they, they stay compliant, uh, but obviously adapt to the new environment, the new regulatory environment that we're actually seeing. That's going to be with us for a number of years. Thanks, Mike. BEPS seems to be the overwhelming topic at the moment, but, but Shai, is there anything else on the policy landscape that tax leaders should be aware of and should be thinking about? Well, first I want to re-emphasize the two points that I made before. New taxes and new incentives. Tax leaders have to be watchful and proactively look for new opportunities and new potential traps that may be introduced throughout the process, not necessarily in the BEPS, because all of the discussion is around BEPS and Pillar 1, Pillar 2, but there might be some things outside the scope of Pillar 2 that are very relevant and important. And the second thing is prepare to a more, to an increasingly more intensive tax audit environment. Uh, tax leaders have to be in a mindset that this is going to uh, be different than what we've seen in the past. And when they start to think about a new tax planning, about a new tax planning idea, they have, they have to have the end in mind. In a way, how am I going to protect and uh, defend this in a tax audit? Is this something that works with my reputation risk profile? All of that has to be put up front when they deal with all the new potential plannings that would come as a result of BEPS. As we draw this podcast to a conclusion, I wonder if you have any final thoughts to wrap up our discussions. I think that, you know, as I said, it's, it, these are challenging and interesting times and there are rapid changes, uh, increased scrutiny all over the world. And if there is one word that I think is key is proactive. Tax leaders have to be proactive and to um, focus on things as they evolve. They need to be proactive, not only waiting for changes, but sometimes, you know, in, in, in larger enterprises, even providing us comments so we can help them and bring their case uh, to the general discussion 
when they see that certain changes are going to impact them. The OECD keeps publishing uh, proposal and uh, draft legislation for comments, and this is a very good opportunity for businesses who can anticipate potential impact on their model, which they know best, to come to us and say, look, this is our view, this is our comments, help us you know, make it part of the discussion. From my perspective, I, I think there's a great opportunity to bring tax into the boardroom here. I think tax has got to be part of the strategic decision making uh, for the reasons that we've described throughout the podcast today. I think that um, in terms of um, CEOs and chairmen should look at this as, as a really important part of um, their decision making, I think, in terms of not only from the reputational piece, but also take into account the after tax flows of revenue as they expand internationally. I also think the point though is that we've said a few times today that this is not all bad news at all um, because obviously I do think it allows um, business to be on the front foot. They know the environment that will be operating in as complex as it is and I think it would actually make sure that it puts tax and cash taxes at the top of their agenda as they continue their exciting journeys and their international expansion. Mike and Shai, on behalf of our listeners, I want to thank you both for taking the time to join me today. It's been a really interesting conversation and you've given our listeners a lot to think about. Join us again next time for a look at some of the other major focus areas Mike highlighted as top of mind for private enterprise tax leaders, including a look at digital transformation and how private enterprises are evolving their processes and tax functions through technology. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.